2: You, hello again, fellow basement dwellers. It's your good friend Patrick O'Dowd, welcoming you into another edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Bandwagon Nerds is a part of the Chairshot Radio Network on the Chairshot.com, where we encourage you to always use your head.
3: The Chairshot.com, always use your
2: head. Thank you, Amber, and hey there, everyone. We have a hodgepodge of a show this week, another OG edition of the bandwagon, at least for the first half of the show. Maybe at the end, we might get Raymond S. Cashington III, Esquire, the Reverend himself. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But for now, I am once again, oh, I should introduce myself. I am Patrick Riddell, I'm the curmudgeon. I'm the angry old man. I'm the dictator. I am the, I'm the the, man who rules with an iron fist over the rundown of bandwagon nerds. And I am joined by the whiny McWhiny pants, Mr. Saturday night who got all like indignant because I joked with him a little bit about the rundown during the middle (laughs) of the week, Mr. PC Tunney.
0: I think we were both joking more than we uh, let on with everybody else there. But Patrick, I got you, um, you know how we there's like a suggestion box at like work. You can put them up and stuff like that. Yep. Instead, we're going to get you a suggestion cup so that you can ready yourself for the suggestions that we send your way.
2: <laughs> I mean, as you've noted, I'm just going to ignore them. So, like, you can suggest all you want. Heck, I sometimes I listen, like occasionally. <laughs> like your your bullet point made it. Passing yeah,
3: up. exactly, and, it, and, it's, it.
0: and it's not like, hey guys, from She-Hulk, this is what we're going to talk about. no, PC Tony wants to talk about She-Hulk, so basically we're getting to get to that point of the show, and <laughs> Pax should be like, okay Tony, you want to talk about it, what the fuck do you want to talk about? And you know <laughs> it because you're lapping your ass off right now, and I still think it's hilarious, so.
2: Oh, uh, it was very, I, you know, I just, I, I tell it like it is, I tell it like it is, and, uh, and we are going to talk a little bit of She-Hulk today. Before we get to like what the rundown of the show is going to be, uh, we do need to introduce the other OG member of the bandwagon, the lawyer himself, Mr. David Ungar, king of post-production. How are you, sir?
4: Doing well. I'm kind of curious as to uh, what Tony wants to talk about as well on She-Hulk, so I'm, I'm in.
2: I don't know. I did share with you, or at least the thing that I specifically want to talk about, so I think that, that that's worthwhile and worth noting, even, even if it isn't necessarily... I don't, I don't know that it was necessarily a groundbreaking thing but it is an exciting thing to see even if it is subtly laid out there but uh you know it's been it's been kind of it's been quite a weekend uh, been, I've been following the sports ball a lot this weekend watched watched a lot of football watched some bad football by the way I, I attended in person a, uh, a a University of Massachusetts football game uh the other day versus the mighty Stony Brook Sea Wolves. and let's just say, gentlemen, that um, it was not good football to watch.
4: It um, could have been the Stony Brook Sea Monkeys, so at least you know. Al-
2: Al- Alabama, Alabama, Auburn. It was not. Alabama, Auburn, circa 2013. It was not. It was. It was more like, uh, well, UMass versus Stony
4: Brook. I don't of what you would expect and you guys won, but so there you go.
2: We did win. We did win. And, uh, and that's always nice. You know, victories are good, but I don't know. I, you know, I'm, we're recording here on a Sunday where we're, we're killing time until my beloved Chicago bears inevitably march towards the buzzsaw that is Aaron Rodgers and the green Bay Packers as they will after scoring all of like what three points last week against Minnesota will probably
0: score 32. Oh, Tony's going with 25. No, they had seven last week.
2: Oh, they scored seven. You scored yeah, a touchdown.
0: do fucking short. That's, that's more than 50% of our points you shorted us. Oh, yeah, my bad. Might as well have been three. Right? No. Well, seven, and, damn it.
2: And I know this is a nerd podcast, but just to talk sports a little bit, it, I, I it's really unfortunate. I was watching, co- you know, watching a lot of college football yesterday, and there are like five good teams in college football and a lot of just bad
0: this season. Like, I think there's there's one team in everybody else, though. I think Georgia is way better than everybody else. Yeah,
2: Georgia's ridiculous.
0: Even Alabama, they're better than.
2: Yeah. Well, Alabama doesn't feel quite right this year. They didn't feel quite right last year. They just feel like they've lost a step. Michigan was... You know, it hasn't played anybody. Ohio State destroyed Toledo. It was ridiculous. Uh, Wisconsin in the Big Ten is kind of a smoke and mirrors team. Like I think they're going to get exposed next week. Even though, as, as people like to point out, like, Ohio State, Wisconsin, big deal, big deal. No, it's not. It's going to be a reminder that the big Ten is Notre game is a joke has it always every year. Notre Dame gets up as like fear they're back. even in Texas. Those are the like every back. And, uh, and I don't know, maybe USC school. Oh, time out. So yeah, all of that is to say that there's really about one or two good college football teams and that's it. And that sucks. Cause I really like college football. Uh, I like, I prefer college sports to pro sports anyway, just uh, the illusion of amateurism, whether you like it or not. Uh, I will say I appreciate the, uh, the crisp nature of a, of an NFL football game. Like, there there's very rare that an NFL football game doesn't end on time.
0: And that's awesome. If you enjoy podcasts about the NFL, tune into chair shot NFL on Thursdays right on chair shot radio network. Sorry, I couldn't pass up the synergy there.
2: Yeah, you should, you should take, you should take advantage of the opportunity. Um, but anyway, let's see, what else did I try to do? I, I tried, I tried to improve uh, my microphone. A situation over here on uh, the podcasting and a friend of mine loaded me a bunch of equipment and stuff and i'm short one cable and, and so like i sit so there going through all the stuff i was like oh this is missing so i gotta text them and be like hey look around your place for the cable that i need to actually plug the mixer into a computer uh because i want to sound like dave dave you've just got that rich old
0: man lawyer voice that sounds so nice He's called uh, you all. He, he wrapped a fucking diss inside of two compliments. Well, he's, all, like, that's that's Pat- he's like, that's that's like do, come Patrick. here, Dave. Here's your peanut butter medicine. Oh, yeah, the peanut that's, butter bucks. That's,
4: <laughs> it's like, yeah, hiding a pill in peanut butter. Uh, it's 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 uh it's the O'Dowd. It's the way. This is the way with Patrick.
2: It is the way. It's entertaining. So, okay, I, enough, uh, enough pointless banter. As I'm sure, as DeMarco listens to this podcast, he's clenching his
0: fists. So, Deal hi, Greg. With Deal with it, Greg. You rewind five minutes and listen to it again, damn it.
2: <laughs> um, we are going to talk about a, uh, a much more impactful episode of Umbrella Academy as we get to the Pendulum episode of Season 3. Taking a visit to the trailer park. As we noted, Tony wants to talk about She-Hulk, so we're going to talk about She-Hulk. Some... Just a little bit of everything: some Disney news, uh, some sequel news, and then hopefully Ray Cash comes to the show. See, because breach, because there, you know, Tony talked about, you know, kind of some, some stirring, some, some friction between us over, over the She-Hulk thing, like some imagined friction. Uh there, there was a, there was a debate, a spirited debate that took place on the old bandwagon nerds DM chat. Where Ray and I disagreed very vehemently over something, and so I was like, "Okay, we'll talk about it on the show." Now, guess who can't make the show? Convenient. I'm just saying, convenient if he doesn't make the show.
4: But we're still going to talk. It's weird. Like, it's like challenging somebody to do a fight and not showing up, man. You know that—that's really that's, what it that's
0: is. That's true. What's wrong, McFly? You chicken?
4: Nobody
2: calls me chicken. And we're going to talk some villains. We're going to talk about villains today on the bandwagon. And uh I'm I'm kind of excited about it. like what makes an A-list villain. So before we get into any and all of that, we gotta get to we gotta get to the Umbrella Academy season three, episode nine, then the ultimate episode, after kind of a low sort of interlude episode last week, on umbrella academy, get to this week. And this week, we get not one. But two deaths. We get a betrayal and we get the entire family, quote-unquote Hargreaves family, heading off through the Oblivion Corridor to take on this Guardian. Let's start with the two big pieces of news. Um, One, I got to give credit where credit is due to David Ungar. You were right. Uh, I also want to say I was right. On a different point, as I had predicted, Allison was the one that Hargreaves was talking, that Reginald Hargreaves was talking to in the room. That seemed pretty obvious, but I had said that uh, Luther was not going to die. I saw, I thought it would be his beautiful bride. Sadly, I was wrong. It was, it was Luther, and I gotta say, it was, uh, it was well done. I did, I saw it coming. Basically when he got stabbed in the back. So, Dave, let's start with you. Your reaction. Cause this this whole episode really centers around Reginald trying to convince the remaining Sparrow and Umbrellas to go through this corridor to try and say, quote, you know, to try and save the universe. And uh, and really it's the two big twists at the end that that hold you know hold the episode. So to you. Your thoughts on being right, congratulations
4: uh, I guess it doesn't make me feel much better, but uh i yeah the like we said last week, we knew this episode would be much more impactful than it was, and uh we you know we we learned about that this version of Reginald Hargre's, which maybe you know maybe it is the same version in alternate timelines, who knows, but um, clearly not what he represented himself to be, somebody with an ulterior motive somebody presumably from the other side of the White Buffalo Corridor. You know, we find out that there's a portal that he built the hotel around that you know, apparently he thinks can protect them from this coming oblivion. Um, I don't know about that. But but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big episode with the whole, uh, the big vote that goes down, you know, trying to get, you know, you need seven people to ring the seven bells to fend off the apocalypse, apo- Allison, you know, faking like she had a change of heart when she's really in it you know, up to her ears with uh whatever Reginald is doing. Um, yeah, Luther is a casualty. Klaus also the other casualty, which I you know, that was kinda like a walking dead head fake a little bit, wasn't it? It's like, well, you know, oh, you know, Luther dies and then you're thinking, okay, it's gonna be somebody different. Everybody's going in there and then and then the dad stabs Klaus literally and the another guy in the back. What was do you guys think there's any significance? Klaus basically jumped onto Oh, yeah,
3: absolutely.
2: Klaus ain't staying dead. No. He taught Klaus how to use his powers. Like, and so the first, like, Klaus killed himself intentionally before he could get evaporated from existence so that he can go where he goes when he dies. Like, Reginald set this up. So I'll be interested to see what happens to Klaus, but I by no means think that Klaus is out of this game.
4: at all and you would think reginald would know that because he taught him how to do it so there's something something afoot there you know they're all they're going to face off against this crazy guardian on the other side of this this wall um which is going to be fascinating but yeah luther the big the big casualty and you know i the beginning of the episode showing him on the moon and just kind of like how his dad just dicked him over there and it kind of it was definitely foreshadowing You know, this this reconciliatory moment at the end that goes, of course, horribly wrong and rest in peace, Luther. That really sucks. But yeah, I mean, I don't I I mean, clearly not everything is what it seems to be right now. And there's some ulterior motive going on with whatever the hell Reginald is. I guess we're going to find out more next episode. Well,
2: and I I think we have forgotten what Reginald was like. It's been revealed that he's not human before. This isn't new. So, it's just, it was one of those things, I, I just, I kept, I kept thinking for sure it was going to be Sloan that Sloane was going to be the death that rallied Luther back to Reginald, and so when that didn't happen that way, and again, it kind of makes sense. We've talked about Luther as a character, like, that kind of, he's the, he's kind of the heart of, of the umbrella I mean, He's the lovable one. He's the one that nobody has any real beef with. Like there's never been any real beef with with luther he's just always been he, he's actually kind of been the one that gets looked overlooked a little bit almost by the other umbrellas at different times throughout the series and so for him to die and that'd be the rallying point for everyone that you know convinces diego convinces five actually five still isn't convinced like Five literally has got to be like pulled in, kicking and screaming. Like he still knows that this isn't right. Like he is just like you. He's like something is up. And five knows and, about and Allison.
4: He got the recollection at the end of the episode that Allison was what right, he the figured deal it out him. at the end. Yeah.
2: but you could see it from the get-go with the way Allison was behaving. Like, and and um and Victor was on to it too. Victor's like, wait a second, this woman was like, I wish you were dead, and I will never forgive you. And suddenly. Suddenly, she's all sweet and I was drunk and angry. No, you weren't. And, and so, you know, I really... I've really grown to dislike Allison as a character. I've really grown to dislike... I feel like she's an antagonist that didn't need to be, but, but here we are. And, and right. so, I guess I'm kind of stuck...
4: Oh, you're right. I I understand. I understand you're grieving, you know, and you're hurting, and you're all, and you're doing all that. But you don't undercut your entire family and everybody who's ever mattered and everybody who's ever supported you just because you can't handle your own shit. And that's really what this season has turned into for her. And so, yeah, I I was like you. I was like, this is bullshit. There's no way somebody does a 180 like that. Just (laughs) my wife. She doesn't. She doesn't like Allison at all. So she's she's got to the. She's like you, Tony. She's already seen the end of it so she's you know she's not an allison fan either which makes probably unanimous among the four of us
2: right i used to be okay with allison i used to like her too like this season is really she was this season has really changed how i feel about yeah. she was
4: sympathetic the first like especially season two where she's being you know the subject of racism and all that stuff that's different this is like you're nobody's victim anymore
2: right and so yeah we'll have to see how that all plays out I did like that we got a little bit more. And it feels like a million years since we knew uh, Luther was on the moon. So to kind of see what his life was like on the moon,
4: though that border
2: thing, I was like, "What's up with the what What's up with the border? Why?" Yeah, like, yeah.
4: who's Abigail Har- Hargreaves? Who was that in the capsule? Right, Tutty. Ah, Tutty.
2: I will say that Abigail Hargreaves—he's father. Darth Vader's Luke's Lisa, father. Lisa Lisa damn it,
4: Martella. We're always there.
2: So we'll 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 figure it out. I'm sure we'll we'll learn at some point. Um what else did I really like? Ah, uh, I I love that Ben kind of was like, No, I'm I'm back to the back to the like the protecting myself, Ben. Kind of close that close that shell back up. Uh much to Klaus's disappointment. That was that was sad for him, but uh and he jumped at the opportunity to to go through the corner like there was there was no question for him so yeah uh it is setting up for a big finale and that finale will take place and we'll review it next week on episode 150 can't believe we're at 150 episodes i can't believe that the chair shot radio network that greg Demarco and pc Tunney have allowed this tomfoolery to go on
0: for 150 episodes, it's, I it's encourage it. I, I encourage it. It's well known. I, 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 lost, a, I lost money on that seven-hour show. Let's have a seven-hour show next week.
4: Seven-hour show. We'll have a
0: throwback show. We'll have a throwback. recap we'll, everything we've talked about for the last 149. You know, I think
4: <laughs> next week let's do two project shows. We can do Nurnomania and, uh, and 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 call it good, man. And review Umbrella Academy season finale and. Maybe even we'll binge watch all of Lock and Key season three. Greg will love this episode; it'll be fantastic. We'll re—I'll we'll, tell you what—we'll rewatch
2: Wandavision two yeah. as well, and break down Wandavision uh, all over again as well. We'll just—we'll do it all. We'll do it all. We'll do—we'll
4: uh, do a live watch along of Rise of Skywalker just to watch Patrick lose his shit for two and a half hours. it will be well, great. I, no,
2: no. See, I, I actually still like doing this show. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's keep doing this show. Don't, don't work to get me off of the show. I, maybe that's the secret. Is that, is that it, Dave? Are you trying to supplant me? I'm just looking you, for you ways know.
4: that we can stretch this out to like a 12 hour podcast, you know, like a live, yeah. live 12 hour podcast where we just sit around and talk about shit
0: for 12 hours. Ladies and yeah, gentlemen, I don't, I don't have tune that in immediately after this show for the beginning of episode one fifty, a week long celebration of the bandwagon nerds.
2: Absolutely not absolutely not that will not be a thing that happens what will happen on episode 150 is we will definitely put a bow on season three of umbrella academy and until then uh we're gonna we're gonna put a wrap today on on episode what is it eight nine Nine.
4: whatever it is nine
2: nine as we head into 10 and we'll go with that we'll go into our first commercial break when we come back dave we're gonna revisit the trailer park so get that banjo music queued up because trailer parks are exciting. Yep, that's right. Put it away. And as Tunny puts his banjos away, we're going to go to our commercial. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the Cheershot Radio Network, part of the ChairShot.com.
1: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
3: Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with Replacement Screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screens This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out TheChairShop.com, bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything progressing. Make sure you check it out, TheChairShop.com.
2: All right. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds. We just got done regaling our thoughts on episode nine from season three of Umbrella Academy. Usually, after our first commercial break, we got to take a little visit to the trailer park. And today is no different. Dave, I need you to do me a favor and play that beautiful banjo. Here we are. Welcome back to the trailer park gentlemen. I got four trailers today. Two of them I'm actually very interested in talking about. Um, actually three of them I'm really interested in talking about. But the first one I put on here, I couldn't resist putting it on here because my mind still is trying to wrap my brain, is still trying to wrap itself around this trailer. So sci-fi. It's it's spooky season now, horror season out there in, in the entertainment world. And sci-fi has put out a trailer for a new horror movie that is coming in October for sci-fi set in the bring it on cheerleading universe titled bring it on cheer or die. And let me get this out of the way. I got to give props to the people making this movie and the trailer in that in the middle of the trailer, it's like bring it on, cheer or die. And then it follows up with a line that says, Yes, that bring it on. So for those of you who are amongst the uninitiated, bring it on has been this long standing series that originally starred um Gabby Uni. Um who, uh Kirsten Dunst was was the was were the very first bring it on cheerleading. It was it's was based around cheerleading competition. The Toros, which is Kirsten Kirsten Dunst's um, school, I can't remember who Gabby Union's um, cheer squad was, but basically you learn that the uh, the white cheerleading school has been stealing all of their trophy winning, award winning cheer moves and cheers from this inner inner city black school, like primary black school. It's like it's all about like all this racism, cultural appropriation stuff, and. This movie, which was a moderate hit in the late '90s, early 2000s, spawned surprisingly a large number of sequels. Like Hayden Panettiere was in one. Uh, it's it's been around forever. It's kind of it's it's just been around for a really long time. And somehow, someway, we are now getting somebody in a and the school's mascot, by the way, is now are now the Diablos. And there's somebody in a Diablo costume walking around with a knife, stabbing people to a cheer competition. Now, this is clearly a horror comedy. It's clearly tongue in cheek, slasher hilarity. But in a million years, E.C. Tunney, did you ever dream that the Bring It On franchise would dip its toe into the horror genre?
0: You know, let me answer that question in a really funny way, because Don Draper's character is about to get into an elevator with, um, I think the guy's name was Peter on the show. And Peter's like, I think you're a real jerk. And Don Draper goes, that's funny. I don't think about you much at all. And that's kind of how I feel about Bring It On. I just don't really think about it much. Um, But I do want to compliment the people that are putting this out there, because this checks a lot of fucking boxes. Horror, (laughs) check. Horror, check. Nostalgic Bring It On fans. Check cheerleading fans check like the funny uh horror like uh spoofs of of um scream fans check right teenagers check this checks a lot of fucking boxes so I think they're gonna have a lot of eyeballs on this. But you talked about Hayden Panettiere? How there's a there's a few other heavy hitting ladies from the original movie, Eliza Dushku, Christina yep. milian and Rihanna was also in the first.
2: Oh wow, Rihanna was in the first one? Damn, I didn't know that. Bit, bam, boom. So, Dave, I, I I, believe you have the entire Bring It On collection, both on Blu-ray and digitally, uh, and that you watch them every night. So why don't you tell us, how is the Bring It On horror movie going to, how's, how's it going to go in the Ungar household? How many times are you going to watch Seven, eight, 12?
4: Well, I'll put, it, I'll put it this way, man. I, I think that the notion of cheerleaders getting massacred will go over very well with my wife. I think she would be. Yeah, she's smiling at me right now, like, "Yes, bring that, <laughs> bring that on," you know. So that, but uh, the fact that there's a "Bring It On" universe of any sort is is mildly disturbing, uh, to you know. <laughs> well, be honest just, with you. Clear,
2: there, there have been four so far. There's been four "Bring It On" movies. This is the fifth "Bring It On" movie, and it's like the Tokyo Drift. Of Bring It On, like just completely different from everything we've seen so far.
0: I can see the the quote in the newspaper, the headline: Dave Ungar on on Bring It On. Dot dash disturbing, mildly,
4: mildly oh, wait. so. But uh... sorry, maybe
2: there's. I lied. There's five. We've got we've got Bring It On. We've got Bring It On again. We've got Bring It On in it to win it. We've got Bring It On fight to the finish. We've got Bring It On Worldwide, Hashtag Cheer Smack. How did that one not make a bunch of money? How did how did, not, how did I not know about that one? And then the latest edition, edition, which does have Missy Pyle in it, apparently. But Bring It On, Cheer or Die. How do we not so, down,
4: bring it on, bring it back? I mean, that seems like a, a good title for a movie that somebody's missing the boat on.
2: Yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I got nothing.
0: Uh I just, I, yeah, I, I, Can I make a prediction, make a prediction. This goes so well that around, not this coming but the following year's WrestleMania season, the bring it on universe pairs with the WWE to bring us oh, bring it on. Just bring it.
4: Uh, we couldn't get the rock so for WrestleMania. So we'll do
0: this instead. Let's,
4: let,
2: yeah, no, we're done. We're done. No, 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 We're not. We're not. Not,
0: no no, no. This is not I mean, this it, is not happening. It nope. it, if that's immense, you want to talk, bring it on.
2: And fair, fair. It was a horror movie. It fits with, you know, the genres that we cover on this program. I did want to roast this sh- this movie a little bit. I'll I'll own that there were some ulterior motives to cheer or die. Let's move on to a trailer that I picked out mostly because it's based on a Stephen King <laughs> short story. The dogs are now excited. They get scared if you say Stephen King.
4: Cujo, they're big Cujo they, fans they over they there. They are definitely Guns Cujo are. fans.
0: They watched Pet Cemetery last night. Or are they scared? They did. They they probably watched Pet Cemetery too if they were scared.
4: Oh,
2: um, yeah,
4: that is disturbing and scary. It's
2: bad, bad movie. I um, sure but anyway, not. I picked this. I, I picked this trailer. One, it, it debuted. I think the trailer itself looks very, very interesting. So it's called Mister Harrigan's Phone. It is a the trailer is really interesting because it starts out, looks like it's going to be another one of these sort of typical coming of age tales of a, of a troubled teenage boy who befriends a, an older gentleman who either lives alone or lives with somebody. Uh, and their friendship, you know, seems to kind of help the young man adjust to high school. He's the kids bullied in high school or whatever. But at the end of the day, um, uh, the old man dies. And Oh, I'm sorry, I, I gotta back up. So in this building friendship, the the kid gives the old man a cell The cell phone, uh, cell phone and, and the old man is like learning how to use their weather when he like suddenly passes away. Uh, the kid puts the phone with the old man in his coffin. He is buried with the cell phone. The kid continues to get horribly bullied at school, so he calls the phone basically for comfort, like leaves a voicemail with this dead old guy's, um, with this guy's voicemail. And then things start happening to the people who have wronged this kid. And he starts getting messages and calls from Mr. Harrigan's phone. And it's based, like I said, it's based on a story by Stephen King. I am interested in this. It is going to show up. It's premiering on Netflix. So it's streamable. You don't have to go to the theater to see it. I think it looks really, really good. Um, I'm actually forgetting who played uh, or who's playing the older, the old... Isn't
4: that Donald Pleasance?
2: That's Donald S- Donald Pleas- Or Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. Sutherland. Pleasance
4: yeah. is from Halloween. Sorry. Yes. Got the first name right. Thank you, Tony. Right. And so well, you guys
2: got it all for I could. Um. So Dave, I'll start with you. Um. Your thoughts on just this trailer? Whether it's got you at any level peaked? Donald Sutherland alone. It, he's has really embraced playing a creepy old guy, um, in many many ways, and he and he does it very well, very very well in this trailer as well.
4: Yeah, this one, unlike uh, you know all the tongue and cheek stuff about cheer or die, notwithstanding, uh, this one I'm definitely interested in because this one's got, you know, it's got that Stephen King vibe. It's it's a unique story. It's uh you know like like you're saying, Pat, it's a kid getting bullied who takes solace in the Comfort and companionship of this old man, and and then has to deal with his sudden passing. But yeah, it, it, it's got all the Stephen, you know, it checks all those Stephen King boxes that you'd want supernatural out there, uh, revenge motivated. You know, a lot of the things that make the King stories work so well. This one's got all of them. You know, and and Donald Sutherland, and the kid is he was from uh, It, right? He was um, uh, the kid who he's getting bullied. He was in It. He was a uh, Ben, not Ben. <laughs> I don't know. I forget who he's he uh, not Georgie. He's Georgie's brother. Right. He's Bill. He's Bill. Bill yeah. yeah. So I, I like him as an actor. This looks like definitely one that'll be worth checking out uh, right around. What a few weeks before Halloween. So perfect timing. Creepy. Uh, this one's definitely one I'm interested at. In. This one I'd actually probably go see in the theaters. It has me that interested. So great choice.
2: I mean, well, we know we we know Tony won't you won't see it in the theater even if it was in the theater because it won't be good for three D. But in terms of a film, I, and and I know you're not like anti horror or suspenseful, but it's not necessarily the first thing you go to check out. What did you think of this trailer?
0: I first would say that this kind of falls more into like a thriller kind of thing too, a, a supernatural thriller as opposed to I don't know if it's so much a horror. Like you could get this same kind of suspense and thrill with like a a super good you know, crime drama or something like that. But it's funny, I'm watching the, the trailer and I had no idea what it was for, what it was about, who it was in, you know, I had no idea this was even out there to be honest with you until we had shared this. And I'm like, Oh, what is this? Another like finding Forrester? Is that Sean Connery? And right. then I'm like, Oh, and then, and then the guy they nickname his phone and he nicknames the phone, what pirate King or something like that. Yes. And I'm like, okay, this dude, there's way, this here, this dude's a fucking old-ass onion. There is so many layers of this motherfucker, and we're about to find out. And then you kind of, and then I'm like, what was the one they just had with, um, was it the black phone or something like that? The one with uh, Ethan
2: Hawke, right? Yeah.
0: So I'm uh, like, oh, here's a different spin on it. And then I'm like, oh, is this a buried alive thing? Is this guy alive? And then I'm like, no way. So we got a supernatural thriller on our hands, Donald Sutherland, and and it looks like the The kid is casted pretty well, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. So, yeah, I'm not going to the theater to see this. No, Um, a little too scary for me to be in the dark watching this movie. So I would say 8 a.m. with some breakfast with all the, you know, shades open, plenty of sunshine. Would check this one out. You'll watch it while you're reading. reading,
4: Yeah, watch it while you're reading the rundown, right, Tony?
0: No, that's for breakfast. That's for at the diner. So, well,
2: and you don't
0: have to go to the theater to watch
2: it. You don't. Like I said, it looks like it's a direct to Netflix uh, feature. It'll probably make an appearance in the theater because Netflix does do that. But yeah, I'm I'm all in for that. I love Halloween. I love spooky season. Spooky season gets you some great, great movies uh, and some stuff out there that maybe you wouldn't have considered. Do you have a go? Do you have a Halloween movie you
0: watch every year?
2: The original Halloween movie is my all-time favorite horror movie on the planet, Um, and. Kind of what you allude to, Tony, you know, it's it's John Carpenter at his best made some of the just absolute perfect horror films that you can see out there, whether it's The Thing, whether it's Halloween. Like he was just he was on a roll. And uh, the thing about Halloween, the original Halloween that I will always appreciate is the amount of tension that's built before anyone's ever actually killed. Because you follow Jamie Lee Curtis, and I've said this millions of times you follow Jamie Lee Curtis around getting a sense of her life as she is in Haddonfield as a teenager. And he's just like Carpenter was just very, very clever in the way he placed Michael Myers everywhere in that movie. If you're looking for him before he ever starts doing his rampage, you know, and some of them are over, like, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis looks out a window. He's standing there. She looks back to the classroom. She looks back. He's gone. But then there's other times where she's walking home from school and the car drives by that he stole or he's standing off to the left or right just at the at the lot la- like where laundry is driving or drying. And it's just so well done and it's so clever. And that part of it is what really heightens then the big finale when he just won't go down. No matter how you try, like how hard they try to kill him, no matter what they do, he just won't go down. And it's amazing. I love, 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 love Halloween.
0: Top top four movie for me every year. So do you watch it, try to watch it every every Halloween season? Yeah, absolutely, every time. Mine's Beetlejuice. Dave, do you have one quick?
4: Probably, I'd say, yeah, Halloween's the big one. Uh, Exorcist is probably the other one that, you know, if I really want to be disturbed, that's where I go.
2: Dave, going into the deeper darkest. Hey, you know, the thing about The Exorcist is that movie's still groundbreaking today. Like, you can watch that one today, and it still gives you the EBGs. I do not find that movie silly at all.
4: No, when you when you understand what the movie's about... And that, you know, they, that there is a factual basis for it, then it kind of starts getting into the you know, places of your brain where you don't want to go. So I mean modern generation looks and says, This is corny. What is this fucking soup that she's spitting up? You know? They don't get the real the bigger picture in that thing. So
2: Excellent. All right. Well, let's let's shift gears. We're gonna go to something fun. This was a trailer that dropped this week that I was really uh I didn't even know they were making this movie. Uh, but this trailer comes across my stream, and it's another. Uh, I'm trying to see who's who's actually behind it. Miramax is, is bringing this one to us. John Hamm is starring in a new Fletch movie titled Confess Fletch. This is a reboot. It would appear not a not a sequel or anything like that. Uh, and. So for those of you who are fans of the old Chevy Chase movie, like I'm willing to bet Dave is is might even be a little pre-mad over this. Like I'm sure he he's a little uncertain how it's going to go. Uh, allegedly these this movie is going to be a little bit closer to the books. And for those of you who don't know, Fletch is an investigative ret- reporter who basically gets him. It's a comedy. It's, it's satirical, but he he gets himself into all of these different scenarios and situations by taking on various roles and identities and disguising himself. And, and he's just kind of funny and goofy about it. And in this particular trailer, it appears that he is being tasked with, um, helping investigate uh, some art thievery and finds himself accused of multiple murders. And so tries to prove his innocence and hilarity ensues. I gotta tell you guys, when I saw the title of this, I wasn't sure, but I kind of like the way John Hamm is playing this uh, in the trailer. And so I, I will, I will share. I, I was okay with the Chevy Chase movie movies. I was not a big fan, so I also don't have a, a strong bias there. But I think John Hamm is playing it in his own way that is unique, and I hope he can catch on because I think it looks pretty good. Dave, I'm gonna start with you. What are your thoughts? You you've already got the whole hump face on it. So yeah, I
3: Fletch
4: is, my, Fletch is not one of my Fletch is not one of my go to franchises. It was it was good, but you know, Chevy well, some Do other you call
2: sp- it a, do you call it a franchise? Well, like I guess the you have to now bomb
4: if we're calling Bring It well, On a franchise.
2: <laughs> Bring it on has six movies, I know. dude. I
4: don't
2: Fletch I, had two and the sequel was so bad that they didn't make any more.
4: Yeah. I, I just I never really I never really thought saw that there was a, a, a space in the market to bring this back at, at this point. I mean I do like, you know, John Hamm get, um, you know, getting stuff other than progressive commercials. That that's encouraging to see. So um but
0: you don't like John Ham's flow? Uh
4: well, it's all right. Go with the flow. Go with the flow. Um no nah, I think I think this'll be
1: I don't know <laughs>
2: And that's, that's not even a spiteful boo. You guys both deserve that boo. Like, you know, you do. Tony was celebrating it because he knew he earned it.
4: Good job, PC. Um, I, you know, I don't, I didn't feel anything with this trailer that says, yeah, I got to go check this out, but okay.
2: Wow. I'm like looking for, I'm looking for screenings of this. Like I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm surprised with it. Tony, go ahead.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny because we put this in the, in the, uh, I basically, you could call it the production thread of the show, you know, where we kind right. to work work everything out every week, and then Patrick has to basically go ahead and find needles in the haystack that we did and 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 put them in there in the right order. Or Dave, some weeks, but I was like, oh, a Fletch movie, and I didn't really like either of them, and I've really grown to dislike Chevy Chase as a person and everything else. So I was like, oh, and then you start bringing this up and once again, I missed I didn't watch this one this morning. I don't know how that happened and I missed it. I've watched everything else we've been talking about. So it was a very happy accident that I mentioned John Hamm um, and Mad Men because he's back with John Slattery in this film and their chemistry is ridiculous. And I think a modern day version of this done right, especially you talk about John Hamm and his range of being able to play a character like him, like someone in Mad Men, and now this kind of comedic detective thing. I I'm gonna watch this. I really am. I didn't think I would cause I made fun of it, but I, I watching the trailer. I like it. It's always about casting to me unless there's 3d involved. So,
2: well, and let's talk about this castle. bit cause you mentioned John Slattery, Kyle McLaughlin, hell of an actor. Uh, Marsha gay Harden
4: yep.
2: is a terrific actor. Um, Roy Wood jr. Is, is the, is a police officer. Um, that's like investigating. Awesome. And, um, Actually I gotta say my favorite my favorite line out of the whole trailer is is Kyle McLaughlin uh, as his as as his publisher and it's something along the lines of um if if you're gonna get if you're gonna if you're gonna be found guilty or arrested for murder, just make sure you get a good exclusive or something like that. Like it's just totally like this bottom line, like uh out for, out for himself sort of of uh of guy. So I'm yeah, I'm I'm all in. I think this looks a lot of fun. Uh, I'm hoping that it. I gotta see when it actually hits theaters, because I would love to do like a back to back and try to watch it. And then even though it's completely a different sort of comedy, Clerks Three uh, is is floating around there. Hit hit them both. Do like a comedy afternoon. I feel like that'd be the way to go. So yes, conf- Confess Fletch, thumbs up to me. Sounds like Dave's gonna need to need to have some convincing. Tunney's got a thumbs up. Let's move on to our last trailer. And this is actually a trailer that premiered a couple of weeks ago. And I've been holding off on it because I've been hoping against hope that we can get Aesop Mitchell on to actually talk about it. And that's the uh, the Glass Onion trailer, which is the sequel to Knives Out, bringing back Daniel Craig, and another huge cast of Hollywood big timers to do another Agatha Christie-esque Murder mystery, only with a lot of biting satirical comedy involved as well by Ryan Johnson. And again, let's before we even get into this, let's go over the names here. So, Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, Kate Hudson, Dave Batista, Jessica Henwick, Madeline Klein, Ethan Hawke, Catherine Hahn, Janelle Monet, Leslie Odom Jr., just to name a few big time cast. First of all, did you guys all see knives out? And if you haven't seen knives out, do yourself, Dave, I'm telling you, I'm telling you straight up. You need to watch this movie. Like I feel like you need to jump on Amazon prime this afternoon and watch knives out. It's that good. And I, it's, it's very, it's, it's tightly done. It's very, very, uh, it's very very smart. It's just a very smart, biting, comedy mystery. It's it's got all these terrific elements. It's so good, so so good. And you know, Asop was the one in particular who was really excited about this one. This seeing Knives Out on Amazon Prime, maybe then want to turn around and see this in a theater. Like that's how good it looks. So you haven't seen the you haven't seen the first one. You've only seen the the trailers. I'm assuming. So I'm going to go over to Tony first. He nodded on the Knives
0: Out. Said he saw it. So let's let's hear from you. I I hope you're in because I'm in. Oh yeah. I mean, I think this could be a very interesting. We talk about franchises today and and universes and stuff like. This is a. You you can just continue to add twists and turns and tell uh, the same type of story in a different way, right? The murder mystery. Like, is it family? Is it coworkers? Is it oddly connected? Like a movie Magnolia? Is it whatever? You know, I mean, you can have whatever quirky way you want to do this. And then when you have, you literally, the first one was so fucking good. And I think this one could be as good, maybe better, uh, but I don't know. I'm hoping it's just in that realm right. that you'll continue to have a list people that were going to come on and want to work and do this kind of, of thing. Right. I mean, I think this is something extremely fun to have this ensemble cast of amazing stars. Right. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And once again, it checks a lot of boxes because you're bringing in so many different demographics of unbelievably famous, popular money-making actors and actresses a
2: thousand percent. Dave, what did you think about the trailer and what can I do to get you to see nights out?
4: Uh, I liked the trailer. I mean, it's got a huge, like you said, all-star cast easily. I think we actually own the movie. I think I bought it. My wife's watched it. So if we we might already have it, I just have to sit down and you don't have to convince me much of it. I've it's been something I've been meaning to watch. I just haven't got to it yet. So uh, but the trailer looks if the trailer is half as good as the first movie was, then, yeah, this this looks like something that would be entertaining and fun to watch. So, yeah, I I will uh, I will definitely be checking the original one out and and more than likely going to check this one out, too. I mean. You can't fail with a cast like that, you know, and they're all some of my favorites, Daniel Craig, Batista, people like that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Can we talk about the part of the trailer where Batista? they're like, really? And then he pulls the gun out of his fucking Speedo and shoots it there. He's like, yep, really? Yep, and he puts it back really. in. I'm like, oh, he's going to shine in this fucking movie. I, I think he's going to be the underdog kind of uh, low. People don't think as much of him as an actor as they do some of these bigger people. And I think they're going to see that, you know. He looks like he got put in a really good role, but I bet you're going to see some really good spots where he shows his acting skills. It
2: really does blow my mind. Like, you know, we're part of a wrestling podcasting network, which is why pro wrestling, you know, makes its way into bandwagon nerds all the time. But, you know, in the, in the annals of actors that have gone from the field of professional wrestling and have moved into acting, you know, the rock, I think people could see right away. That guy had star potential from the get go. John Cena, I think people were like, kind of maybe, and then he hit a big with Peacemaker, and that's really helped him take off. But Dave Batista, of, of of all the people, I was like, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens. And and you know, and part of it, I think Tony goes to what you said; it's the right fit, but because he he gets his big big break because he'd been in stuff before and he'd always played like the thug, uh, kind of a lot like Kevin Nash. Like Kevin Nash gets put in roles to play the thug. In a lot of ways, until he
0: got in um, in that Sandler movie, uh, uh, longest longest star, yard. Star, I know, you know, star. I think yeah. The problem, I think Kevin, if Kevin Nash was as short as Dave Bautista, I think Kevin Nash would have a lot more acting roles. I oh think yeah, it's sure, A lot absolutely. harder that that six nine, six ten is so much harder than that six four to six six But
2: but camera. Dave Bautista gets he gets cast in he gets cast in Guardians of the Galaxy. He gets to play Drax. He gets cast in a comedic tough guy role and he hits it out of the park really like hits it out of the park. And and when he did that suddenly like, like you see him getting all these other opportunities and these other great roles.
0: I could just hear him when you said he hits it out of the park, Dave Batista going into Drax going, ha 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 Drax does not play baseball. Right? Yeah. He's just, it's, and, and that's
2: the thing is he's, he he's made that character so iconic that nobody else can play it, right? Like, you can't ha- you can't recast Drax. Yeah,
4: and, and Drax from the comics is a pretty big departure from the way he's portrayed. You know, Drax the Destroyer in the comics is not very comedic. Uh, it, yeah, he's very sober. Very, very. That's that's putting what if, it mildly. But you, yeah, you look at how Bautista took that character, made it his own, and a big reason why Guardians came out of nowhere was his doing.
0: I mean, I never... Obviously, I'm the 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 the, the horrible, uh, never really read any comics kind of bandwagon nerd here. But for you guys, what would it be like now if you went back and read some of the best stories involving Drax, but only you read it with Dave Bautista's voice in mind and took a little bit of more comedic humor to it? Could you apply that to anything? Would it be hilarious to you?
2: It would. In the right context, but it like they lean so much more into the loss of his family as a character in the comic books that it's hard uh, like it's really hard to uh
0: So what if what it. So he's past that or he's past that loss already when the Guardians of the Galaxy is going then, correct? Obviously?
2: Well, I mean That's the character motivation, in the, in the movies. Yeah, right? his, his motivation is he's driven to find uh Ronin and Thanos, at the time. Right. And then then Ronan translates to Thanos because he, he loses his, his family. But they, they, you know, James Gunn very cleverly leans into that everything about Drax's people is literal and plays that for laughs in a way that's not done in the comics. In the comics, it's, you know, it's very, very much driven And probably my favorite Guardians of the Galaxy moment in Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is when Mantis actually experiences his grief uh when she's sitting next to him because it takes this character that we've all been laughing at you know haha you know you know he talks even with mantis he talks about how she's ugly but then you still see that there's that that undertone of melancholy that's part of it that's very very well done in the film that it's it's just he that's not the character he is in the comics And and this is why when people get hung up on canon for any reason I don't understand why they do because the MCU does their own thing. Like, and they just always have. So, and, and Dave Bautista makes that character special. 1000%. Yeah.
4: And I think from my standpoint, Tony, like a few years ago, I just started, you know, even before we started talking about it so much like we have this year started really separating what was going on in the comics from the MCU because there are, there are clear defining lines that you can get there. Drax is one of those characters. You look at him in the comics you look at him in the MCU and you say, okay, those are those are two different sorts of things. Thor, when they first started, was more like he is in the comics. Very kind of serious, dry to a certain right. extent. And now they've kind of morphed him into something uh, in the movies that is very a big departure from the comics. And, and, you know, like if you listen to a lot of people, like our conversations on Love and Thunder, my wife agreed with us when she finally watched it. Kind of swinging the pendulum too far in the other direction at this point with Thor, so...
2: The thing that I, the, the last thing I want to say about this, and then we'll move on to our next topic, because, you know, Tony really wants to talk about it, is that Dave Batista was so influential in his portrayal of Drax that when you go and look at the comics now, Drax has changed a little bit because of Dave Batista. That tells you how that has grown and how that has changed Marvel versus the other way around. And that's big.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean the Drax in the comics doesn't look very much like the one in the MCU. Is, is he like purple in the comics if I in some places anyway, but um, Dep-
2: yeah it depends on depends on the artist that he's drawing it yeah. and, and all of that. So anyway, all that is to say check out Glass Onion and if you haven't seen Knives Out, do yourself a favor and see Knives Out. Because it's a terrific, terrific film. Glass Onion, I think, has a really strong chance to be good as well. All right, Tony, it's your time to shine. You demanded this be on the the rundown. You stood outside my virtual internet door, pounding on the door. You kicked your way into my virtual office, fist on the virtual desk, and then started pointing your finger at me, poked me in the virtual chest to demand that we talk about She-Hulk today. Because episode five dropped, we got a return of Titania. What did you want to talk to talk about? Uh, with she Hulk? Because there was there is stuff that I want to talk about that happened, and I, I want to hear from you first, and let's well, see if we're on the same page.
0: I basically just have a, a couple questions for the two of you. Sure. One being, we've obviously seen the hood, if you will, of one Daredevil. And we also yep. know that we're getting um, Charlie Cox in one episode, correct?
2: At least one that we know
0: of. Yeah, I heard it's just one. So my question is, what kind of springboard is this, you know for Daredevil moving forward uh, and and it's in he's going from to the yellow, it looks like as well, or more yellow. Why does he have a new tailor? Because we all already know he already has his own tailor on the other side of the country, but maybe that's the falling out thing, or is it just that he's there? And I think the bigger overall question is we continue to get different important pieces in my mind moving forward. So She-Hulk, more important than people are realizing, considering this is a really easy way, because what's the easiest way to have one superhero enact with the other? Well, if one of them's a fucking superhero lawyer. I mean, come on. It can't get any easier than that, in my opinion. Those are the questions I want you guys to answer for me because those are all the things I thought about, and you guys know so much more than I do. And I was just really excited by that episode and that kind of workings in my mind of, man, this is almost like a a Legend of Zelda key that you can look at for the future on what's going to be connecting the dots. Yeah, I think Jennifer
2: Walters is quickly becoming very very important to the overall mcu and uh, moving forward like i think that and, and i think it, she was always such a unique character in the comics and i was just fascinated i think that she makes a lot of sense and that she can create connectivity kind of what you're referring to to multiple heroes from different movies and films and, and series in ways that make sense Without it just feeling forced. Because Jen Walters is a, is, is a lawyer. The other thing that's really great about the Matt Murdock slash Daredevil connection is Matt Murdock is a lawyer. So they're also going to be colleagues at some point in some way. And and that's also something that's happened in comic books. So that I, I think that she makes a great opportunity to introduce characters to the MCU or grow characters in the Wong as a character in his two episode arc grew as a character.
0: Yeah. So much. So it's not long. Thank you.
2: I, I know where you're going. Uh, the little doubt, by the way, loves him. Some Madison loves him. He actually, this is, this has been his favorite MCU show, uh, by, by a long stretch. He thoroughly enjoys. It. He loves the breaking of the fourth wall. And I, I wish I could, I wish I could watch Deadpool with him. Um, uh, He's not there yet. He's ten.
0: Uh, <laughs> what? Well, so he's in he's in fourth grade, fifth grade this year. Yeah, uh, maybe that's the eighth grade kind of thing, you know, before high school. Well, we'll
2: see what happens. Uh,
0: could be a middle school. thing regards to the other too, question,
2: right? Daredevil, Daredevil started as a yellow. A,
0: had a yellow suit to start. Actually, it, it's really a big throwback. So it it could less be you know, more about paying homage and throwing back then to changing or
2: yeah i think it's um i know i think it's a change moving forward because the other question that you asked you asked about like what about his other taylor from the previous series charlie cox has been in a couple of interviews now
0: falling out though i think
2: right well and charlie cox has even said this is not a sequel this is not a season four basically he's implying that the netflix series isn't connected to the mcu now, whether or not that turns out to be truly true, because you know, we've already got Vincent D'Onofrio, who is perfectly cast as the Kingpin. Uh, whether or not it's completely true, I don't know that I completely buy it, but that's what Charlie Cox is saying in his interviews. So, Dave, what do you think?
4: Uh, I, As far as, like, She-Hulk's importance to the MCU, probably bigger than I anticipated originally. Because I think, like you're saying, she is... She's kind of a gateway character at this point in time where they're using her to introduce a lot of these other different elements, some of these lesser known characters to expand on characters. I don't think anybody anticipated Madison having the immense popularity that she had over one episode to the point that they're talking about, you know, the Madison and Wongers. Yeah, it's all tongue in cheek, but a lot of undercurrent for people wanting it to be real.
2: Dude, um, dude. Here's the thing, though. If you don't think there's gonna be a special bonus feature short of Madison and Wongers at some point, absolutely. Whether it be ah uh, in, in some movie that he's dude. involved, I think like, he's gonna
4: show up. She's too popular. And, and, She's gonna show up. And yeah. what I love about the show is it is it is so and it and it's remarkable to me. And I was gonna ask you guys, like, do you think that they've like added stuff into the show because otherwise they're precognizant realizing how much hate they were going to get on Twitter for certain things that they filmed things into the show. Like her saying, yeah, you just have an episode with Wong and it's like Twitter invincibility, you know, that sort of thing. So they really were on it knowing what they were going to be facing or they've edited stuff in.
2: No, I think it's, I think it's option one.
4: The writing
2: on this show has been very self-aware. Like there's no accident that they mocked, backlash fan backlash in an episode there none of this is an accident the character itself is this is what's really interesting about jen walters she has always been kind of the more um, pg deadpool in terms of talking to the audience and breaking the fourth wall and, and all that she does that in the comics too like her her show is actually pretty accurate to the comic book character and what happened in the comics. And what's funny is that critics can't wrap their head around that. Like, I just read a, I think it was a Hollywood Reporter review that was like, it, uh, She-Hulk is trying too hard and blah, 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 blah. And it's just, and it was like, they want it to be fun. I know what they're trying to do by making it out McBeal, but it just, she's a superhero and blah, blah, They They don't, like the critic couldn't wrap their brain around that there's something different that the superhero genre can bring. Mm-hmm. And that's and that that's the other thing is this is a superhero show in the sense that there are superheroes in the show. And and I I wanted to But it's to, a sitcom. This is yeah, a sitcom.
4: I wanted to point out like Tony mentioned something and and I think this was the first episode where we really got an official acknowledgment that there are no Avengers right now, but there's going to be, right. and they're kind of putting that into play. And and Jen, you know, she's going to be at the center of that. Um, as far as the Daredevil thing goes, um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's important, but it's kind of not because we already know we got an 18 episode story arc coming with Born uh, Born Again coming up, so we know that's there. But at the same time, this is going to be Daredevil's first official appearance in the MCU. I know. Matt Murdock showed up in No Way Home, but we still have not seen Daredevil yet. And that's coming in the next few episodes. So from that standpoint, to establish, yes, he's here and here's what's going on with him. Yeah, that's a big deal, you know, from the street level side of things. And I I think that's going to be cool getting to see the yellow suit uh, to try and distinguish it a little bit from, you know, Netflix to a certain extent. But uh, yeah, I, I I tend to agree that I don't see how you can't separate the Netflix series completely from this. It's just more a question of where in the timeline is this going to be taking place?
2: At the end of the day, I want the uh, I want the Marvel Knights Daredevil suit to pop up at some point. The black suit. that That's always been my favorite Daredevil look. I wanted to talk a little bit of Easter eggs, though, uh, as the other thing. and And I'll share this in the group chat. I just didn't. At the time when I shared this with Dave, I wasn't sure who had seen it and I, and I didn't want to ruin it. But eagle Eye viewers who watched the credits, and I'm sure Ray Cash saw this right away, so it wouldn't be a surprise to him. Uh, but one of the neat things that's happened with She-Hulk is that they basically, I don't know, if it, it's not exactly concept art, but it's more like it's these watercolor um, drawings of various scenes either from the episode or in reference to the episode that then pop up here in, in, um, in the credits and one of the scenes, and I'm going to forget the guy's name. Who is the shoe, the shoe head, the sneaker head. Um, what's his name, this character's name. Nobody knows. I'm going to have to actually, I'm
0: going to have to actually go and look it up. Is that the douchebag guy that?
2: No, he's, he's, he's the one who, um, I know he goes he's with her assistant. The
0: firm. He goes with her assistant and they end up at right. Like, so by the shoes, them. uh, let's see. I'm just going to, we're not cops.
2: We got Cast here. It's none of those people. None of those people. David Otunga, by the way, congrats buddy on, on your role. Really? He's not going to show up real, a real, right a real
4: lawyer in this show. So it is nice to, it is nice that right. he got a, a cameo in there, but yeah. <laughs> is it Josh?
2: And character? Is it, um, I can't get it to focus on it um, hug augustus no, that can't I anyway at the beginning of the show he he works out a favor with his uh with a uh, Nikki to go um with him to pick up the newest Iron Man three sneakers by the way. I uh, love that little reference and and she agrees to if he'll help yeah. her. It, you know get a wardrobe boost for for she-hulk and so they go to this thing and you get through the credit you get to the credits and in the credits there is a scene of him showing off his sneaker connect collection and there are so many easter eggs in the pictures we'll start with x-men characters there is a deadpool sneaker in the background there is a cyclops and wolverine sneaker. In the background, there is a Ghost Rider, Nova, Hobgoblin, and the Thing sneakers all in this background. And here's the thing. Yeah, it's not actual appearances, but Marvel, people need to relax. Marvel knows that they've got the X-Men. Marvel knows that they got the Fantastic Four. Relax, they're coming. They're putting them everywhere now. They have the intellectual property. They have the IPs. And this this is just another way that they're showing it. Uh, and so people like Dave who are super impatient, just got to relax. They know what they're doing. Oh, whatever, Mr. <laughs> I Need a Trailer seven months ago.
4: Like, <laughs> hey, you know what I'm hey, talking about. Hey, you even acknowledged this week that the trailer – angst is a real thing so it's not just me from anymore.
2: other people yeah. i don't have angst about it and i right. think just people need to relax well, or i think the
4: thing about the easter Cause, eggs because and... you're not going to go see no
2: ant-man I... quantum mania sure, you're going to skip it
4: give are it you going to me, gonna skip it give it to me now pat where's where's ray when I need, gonna... where's ray when i do need do what... Do do
2: do. Skip what it. what does that trailer what is that trailer going to do to influence you to go see that you're gonna
4: go see that movie. Other than create anticipation, not much. I agree with you. Do I? I agree with but you. I'm anticipating the movie. Def- we don't care. I to it. I, I don't defer. need the trailer. Look, I, I, I will go Kidding. back back to back to she Yeah, I, I did appreciate and thank you very much for sharing that that Easter egg because I didn't catch that the first. I, and in fact, I was gonna text Ray after the episode said, "I thought you said there was a post credit scene every episode." there wasn't one here but there actually was because it's embedded that's more easter eggs and post credit but yeah the thing about marvel like you're saying have patience is all going to show up marvel doesn't do things just for the sake of doing things they did that for a specific reason and and that's right. just what that's how they do it they just don't kind of oh willy nilly let's just throw this out there just to pacify some people no there's a reason they did it so um yeah it's it's exciting you know that they're out there it makes you wonder where did all these sneakers come from but it's okay uh it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be a fun ride to get there so
2: yeah i you have to be an eagle-eyed viewer when you watch any marvel anything at this point like they're just it's all there it's it's all being put out there for you to see and catch and i'm just done second guessing anything that this this company does until they give me a reason to dislike what I'm seeing on my screen, and you know, She-Hulk may not be your favorite show. I know Dave, for example, I know it's not your favorite show, um, but you enjoy it. It's not like you hate it. I like
4: uh, I like it better than Moon Knight. I'll be straight up with you guys. Yeah, right there you now.
2: go. So, um, but it's neat. So I just thought that was fun and worth pointing out that yes, indeed, we we have seen. I also wondered if a couple of the other costumes that you see hanging around in that shop were uh, like one kind of looks Songbirdish, birdish. Uh, I don't know if it is actually songbird, but that was one of the things that popped into my head. it's It's exciting stuff. It's fun stuff. Enjoy the ride, people. We're having a good good time,
4: all right. so look at that, Tony, you started I mean, off one place. We ended up someplace completely different.
2: I know I took you places. We took you places. Well, our last thing before we go into our second commercial break, and I wanted to share. is more Disney news, as Variety reported this this week that uh, on Disney's upcoming slate of films to be released, there's one that's missing: Rogue Squadron, the Patty Jenkins-led Star Wars film, no longer on the release schedule. You can't help but look at this as bad news, which I find really, really interesting because. You know, you had that video with Patty Jenkins talking about being a pilot and how exciting the idea of making a fighter pilot movie in space was going to be. And we haven't we, we've heard like nothing about this film other than it's coming in this little video. And now it's gone. So to the group, we'll start with Dave. Is Rogue Squadron dead are we sad? Do we care? What do you think?
4: Answering in the order of your questions. Yes, yes. And yes, it's dead. I'm sad. And yes, I do care because it rogue squadron was one of my, one of my, the best of the, uh, expanded galaxy for a while. I mean, they're all good stories. Rogue squadron is, uh, the elite as far as the, uh, em- not the empire, the, the Republic, the, you know, whatever you want to call them. Um, their first line of defense, their main line of attack. I mean, there's some really cool stories you could have told about that. Yeah, the fact that, I mean, Star Wars has got a lot of stuff going on. They put out a lot of things out there. I'm hoping maybe we get more information when the investor call takes place pretty soon. But Star Wars, to me, feels a little directionless in certain places, especially as far as when are we getting another big screen, a big movie sort of installment in this series? Because we seem to be no direction on that front. They got everything going on in streaming and Mandalorian, and we know where we're going there, but um, yeah, this is a big kind of a big blow to those of us who were hoping, beyond hope, hey, we're going to get the next big cinema sort of announcement or some direction, and um, that's clearly not happening, so.
2: All right, Dave, or not Dave, Tony, how do you feel about the disappearance of Rogue Squadron? It's all Star Wars. Yeah, you
0: know, I, you know I like... As much of this as I can get from the Star Wars world, right? Connecting the dots, telling these stories uh, in whether it's streaming or cinematic, right? Pick one. I, I enjoy both of them. And I, that's how I like to devour that kind of content. There's so much shit out there. I don't really fucking care. If it's good enough the way they're going to do it, then they'll get it out there. Maybe it's probably still going to come out. They're just waiting to redo some. I don't know. Maybe the schedule. I Who gives? I don't fucking care. There's so much damn shit out there to watch. Uh, that's my kind of point to it. So if it spells doom for a story that everybody else really wanted to hear, I, I mean, I guess I'm just not that in tune that I was looking forward that much to the particular story they were going to tell. Just keep giving me star Wars content done. Right. And if it means that wasn't going to be done, right, then I'm completely okay with it.
2: So there you have it. Everyone PC. Tony doesn't care about Patty Jenkins. Hates her to death and everything she's ever done. Won't miss her is happy that she's gone there Ooh, you go hey, wow. You've hey who Ooh, wow i usually only hear that in wrestling circles Ah, uh, here's my here's my take yeah it sucks i'm not as familiar as as close uh to the rogue squadron universe as you are dave like i was never a big expanded universe guy we all know that about me so that uh that didn't really impact me too much patty jenkins is a hell of a director um so i'm i'm disappointed in that regard because i really would have liked i would have liked to see it and and her her video and her vignette were were very intriguing to me and so i was i was here for it and to see that it is now gone is is definitely a disappointment and hopefully um hopefully it's not really the end but it's it's never good when they take it off and it's it was always marred by production issues from the get-go so and she was I'm passionate. She
4: was passionate about it. You could tell from that trailer that she really wanted to do it. So that's what makes it kind of even sadder.
2: Absolutely. So anyway, it sounds like we should raise a cra- raise a glass to the movie that never was. Goodbye, Rogue Squadron. We never knew you. And uh, on that note, I'm going to take us to our second commercial break. Before we get to our recorded commercial, though, it is my duty to remind you that if you like what we do here at the Chairshot Radio Network and you enjoy catching the content we put out here every single day on your internet airwaves, please support us by repping the brand and heading over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and invest in one of our mini shirts. If you only like bandwagon nerds, guess what? There is a bandwagon nerd shirt out there just for you. I know I have at least one of the two that were sold ever. Uh, Hopefully two or three more do as well.
0: You and DP, I got you. You and DP, I, was very, I was very very
2: proud of that shirt. But we have other shirts too. Say you don't want to rep our brand, maybe you don't want to rep Bandwagoners, maybe you just want to rep the logo. Maybe you want to rep the entire network. Well, we got OG Chairshot logos. We got Chairshot.com shirts to beat the band. High quality shirts, only nineteen ninety nine. But if you're feeling fancy, want something that feels nice on your giblets, get it soft style. Your body will thank you. Again, we love putting this content out here every single day. And the only way we can do that is by you continuing to support us and getting our name out there. And the best way to do that is to invest in us over at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the TheChairShot. When we come back, a couple of other news bites from around the nerdosphere. And then we're going to talk villains here on the
1: Bandwagon Nerds on The ChairShot Radio Network, a part of The shot. What's the easiest choice you can make?
3: Promotional
0: consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade. You can save ten percent on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code ChairShot. Head to AngryLemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code ChairShot to save ten percent. That's AngryLemonade.net.
2: So fellas, I, I will I will fully embrace that as a podcaster. One of my shortcomings are my transitions getting us to commercial sometimes the pro wrestling tease commercial not always the best in the land of my bad transitions this one's top three that was rough i apologize fellas my fault and i'm glad Sonny. you're you're always so supportive like ah don't worry about it but but i'm i'm very self critical and uh yeah disappointed in in my work there so uh my apologies hopefully i can make it better by getting us into our last little bit of news bites that are out there. And we're going to start with one that just dropped uh, this past Thursday. I want to say Thursday or Friday of this week, Uh, Warner brothers has announced that after what, like 20 years, 30 years, we are getting a sequel to the movie Constantine starring Keanu Reeves with Keanu Reeves reprising his role as Constantine. So the original movie, by the way, while fun, not exactly the best film in the world. This is this is striking while the Keanu Reeves fire is still very, very hot. If you ask me to pump out a a DC property that people are going to get behind. Dave, am I wrong?
4: No, I don't believe you are wrong. I, I, I know Constantine has got a bit of a cult following. A uh, lot of people who like it, I'm kind of like you. was like, yeah, it was a fun movie. Nothing. It's not it's not going to be, you know, ranking in my top 20 greatest superhero films of all time. That's for sure. But uh, it, to me, it's it's a decision that, you know, we talk about kind of the directionless nature of some of the Star Wars aspects of things, man, D.C., no direction and nothing that they do makes any sense right. I was like, wait, 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 we can't, we we don't have any plan for Superman. We don't have any plan for Batman. We're still trying to find our Kevin Feige. I got it. Let's do a Constantine sequel. Wait, what? (laughs) None of it makes any damn sense, but you know, more power to him. I agree with you. Keanu's, you know, really, you know, he's, he's one of the most recognizable names out there. Everybody wants him in all their movies on all their properties. So why not bring it out and, and see what they can do with it? Um, Hopefully, it has some tie into something. But knowing DC, it will have a tie into nothing other than the original movie. So, that's all I got,
2: Tony. With your vast knowledge of the Constantine comic book canon and Keanu Reeves led film, also with Rachel Vice, I do believe uh, what's his co star there. Uh, your thoughts Constantine's sequel
0: or Keanu Reeves? I am not a. I, I only like three Keanu Reeves movies, and I'm not a fan of him. I'm not a fan of this character are they the um, three john
4: wick movies i'm just one john wick one two and three is that it
0: you couldn't guess that you could only probably guess one of the three if you tried but i'll just tell you point break sweet november and knock knock wow
4: such a random offer op- no matrix none of the, that is, none of that the is big an interesting
2: trilogy of films well we should uh that's one of those uh that'd be like one of those uh one disc movies you'd get at Walmart for four ninety nine in the little like, bin. It'd be like a Keanu the... Reeves collection. Maybe it'd be spy, just... Tony. It's
4: the project for episode <laughs> one fifty, Pat, our top ten Keanu Reeves movies. There you go. Oh God.
2: yeah, but, well Tony can only
0: come up with three, so that's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, speed two, maybe. He's speed not in speed two. two. <laughs> exactly. He's only in the first one. Sucks. That's why the second one's my favorite. All right. And we're done.
2: So now that we know where Tony stands,
0: I, I just found
2: this really interesting. I found the timing really interesting of this one. I just I don't I don't quite get anything other than this has got to be that Keanu Reeves is popular again. So um yeah, uh good for Warner Brothers and this does seem to continue the pattern of we don't know what the fuck to do with uh with our DC property.
4: We don't know what to do with anything. Let's do this. So, all right. So let's talk about this last
2: news bite. And I can't remember which one of you knuckleheads shared this in the, uh, in the DM. It might have been Ray. Trey. It might have been Ray. It was Ray. Um, oh, bitch. But we, here we are. We're in the wake of the Warner Brothers Discovery uh, news and suddenly there is another Rumor coming that NBC Universal and Discovery could be merging in 2024. Now, as I say this rumor, I believe Ray shared it in like the common comic book news Twitter feed. I searched it, there were like four articles, and the most reputable one I could find was from the Walt Disney World News website Walt disney world news today sharing a potential warner brothers nbc universal Virgil merger um head freezing content let's let's play i do the reason i did share this though is i do think this is the world we live in now um in terms of like entertainment conglomerates like i think this is it is definitely something that is going to continue to happen But I also think it gets further into how we take in entertainment anymore. And that's through streaming. This is all just now an arms race to be the big, you know, to to own the streaming market because traditional television is is basic, it's not dead, but it's not it's not how we consume. And all of these mergers are about putting together a bank of content. That you can then make a make available exclusively to the masses. And so rather than talk about the possibility of a Warner Brothers universal merge, I thought I'd revisit this conversation that we've had several times. That if you're somebody who's old man yelling at cloud over having to get all these different streaming services now to watch what you want to watch, we've been telling you, and this sort of article. Is just a reminder that we ain't done yet. Tony, you took a deep breath. Go first.
0: I think those people that are are upset about having to have all these different streamings are are looking at it the wrong way. First thing you can do is if you don't watch a lot of cable stations and you have like direct TV or cable, cancel it. You can still get a digital antenna for as cheap as $10 fucking and your picture will be better than it was when you had cable or satellite because over-the-air digital is the best fucking picture that you can get, period, end of story. You're going to get a whole shit ton of subchannels you've never even seen before on there, plus all the networks. Now, you talk about, I can't afford this many streaming subscriptions at a time. You don't have to have them at a time. You can pick one, two, three, or as many as you can afford to watch the shows you want, and when you're done cancel it, go grab the other one to show you want to watch for a month or two. You can flip-flop these streaming services without paying for nine or 10 of them at a time. There are ways to do this. You just, you're just not going to have appointment television anymore. You got to get over that fact. And man, I've been appointment television my entire life. Like I love TV more than anything. Like the, the, you want to know what spurred the streaming era? People falling in love with the DVR. Period. End of story. And we've talked about this. We've talked about how all these companies that are bigger are going to start consuming all these smaller companies before they have a chance to be even come in one of the bigger companies, right? Strength in numbers. We've we've had this discussion before, so that's fine. Whatever makes it cheaper. Because look at the WWE. How many years do we? And I'm sorry to bring wrestling back into it, right? Sorry, not sorry, but it, no, it's, it applies it's a, it's a here. Good point. How, how many years do we pay fucking? for a pay-per-view and then $50 for a pay-per-view and then $60 for a pay-per-view and then $90 for an HD motherfucking pay-per-view, right? As we kept going on. And this isn't every year, fuckers. This is a fucking month. Every fucking month we dish this out. 12 fucking times a year we did that shit. And now, and now I get everything on Peacock plus all my WWE pay-per-views for fucking, I I do I when I'm going out to eat, I go out to fucking eat. I pay the top number. I ain't watching a fucking commercial. Go fuck yourself. I'm a DVR kid. This shit's gonna continue to happen until we end up with like network television did: three to five major players.
4: No, I'll, I'll, you're, you're not wrong. No, you're not, and I'll, I'll even go. It was DVR that led to this, but it was also on demand, which the WWE Network was a pioneer of as far as like getting people to say, oh, I can watch what I want on my own terms when I want to watch it. That's what sells this thing instead of like cable is like, well, I got to wait till they put something on that I want to record at a certain time so I can watch it later. So you're not beholden to the whim of these companies. But I think, yeah, Tuddy's right you're seeing the compression of, of these things and, and you're going to get to the point where there's three to five major players. Um, yeah. What would be interesting to me is if, if this was to actually happen, that'd be a uh, universal studios would be fun in, in, in Florida where they've got all these Marvel characters and now, well, we've got the rights to these DC characters. So you could, you could get Avengers versus JLA in a theme park and, and see how that goes. That might be kind of fun, but yeah, I don't know. And it's like to me it's like when he first posted it's like didn't they just merge with somebody and now we're going to merge again like a year and a half later? It just mergers don't usually go that volatile, you know? So I don't see it happening, but it it's it's kind of fun to speculate and and see how this might all play out.
2: Yeah, I I it's very possible that this is the next merger to take place. I just don't know that it'll happen that fast. I I the Warner Brothers Discovery thing, such as it is, needs to get that house in some semblance of order before they can then turn around and start working on the next murder. and And that's why, sadly, we've lost all these DC properties. Why you're you're seeing films fall off of their uh, their streaming services. Uh, I mean hell we're still getting advertisements right now for HBO Max even though we know HBO Max is dead in less than a year. So I don't I don't quite buy the story, but the greater point that's being made here is absolutely true. At the end of the day, like it'll no longer be CBS, NBC and ABC, it'll be like Netflix, Disney+, Hulu, ESPN and Amazon or whatever. Maybe a fourth. You'll get that Fox network.
0: That'll be that'll be your uh your Paramount Plus or something. Well, I mean, shit, CBS has Paramount Plus, so I'll put them in the clubhouse. Right. NBC is Universal. They already got Peacock. Let's put them in the clubhouse. What if Fox and fucking Netflix were to combine? Holy fuck.
2: Well, and who knows? Netflix is probably going to have to do something.
0: You got ABC and Disney. Right? So there you go. There's one major player left out there for the biggest fucking original streamer, motherfucker. Netflix. There's the Amazon. Amazon is its own. It's Amazon is its own everything. Look at, they had their very first and they have Thursday nights. Now they have football, like Amazon is its right. own Shit. I think that's the, that's they they should buy the CW. <laughs> I think
2: that, I think, I think my favorite thing about this whole shift. And that's the other thing that we, we haven't really talked about is the way that uh, sports in particular are are flocking to streaming like you you brought up the NFL uh like they're streaming on Amazon they're streaming somewhere else isn't there like a streaming deal somewhere baseball
0: had like oh, yeah. has a streaming game Apple. on Apple Apple yep plus you have the you have unbelievably worldwide content streaming oh Premier League ESPN. soccer is on the NBC yeah. all the time yep. yeah yeah Bundesliga yeah. Liga cricket whatever
2: right uh and the big ten we were talking about college football earlier today. The Big Ten's big landmark deal is going to put games on NBC, uh, on um, Peacock. Like, that's the thing. And, and you know, it's going to start with those lower tier buy games, but that's becoming a thing.
0: What do the best networks have, Patrick, including the Chair Shot Radio Network? They have sports,
2: they entertainment. have entertainment,
0: and sports fucking entertainment.
2: And that, friends, is PC Tony bringing it all full circle. Okay. We still don't have any Ray Cash, but we're going to go up. We're going to we're going to bring up our last topic because this came up and I want to discuss this because Ray kept like this. So this discussion started with another uh, another Mephisto rumor because Mephisto has become the white whale of Internet fandom in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and i put it out there and i will own it i put it out there that i find it really interesting how hard this cult following for mephisto as in my opinion a b tier villain in the marvel comic book universe has been latched onto by fans and ray vehemently disagreed with my assessment that mephisto is a b level villain and so i thought it would be good to just have the conversation as to what in my view and in ray's view i was hoping ray would be able to make it he unfortunately could not what it means to be a a kind of an a level or a b level villain in the world of comics and i really pointed out and my biggest argument in this chat and maybe this is where the You know, like Ray eventually gets so frustrated with me just because your biases are showing. You think it's only villains in these intellectual properties because I really focused on basically the known villains throughout Marvel. Now, I'm not as familiar with DC, but what you got there? Oh, he's coming. Tony texting Ray to drag him on so that we can get to a fight because uh, Tony Tony likes to stir the pot just as much as Dave tried to stir the pot after we come to a conclusion. You love basically it. Basically, not deny it. Basically, my it. point was is that Mephisto, ridiculously powerful as he is... Uh-oh. He's, Brad, just, he's this not, is
0: pre-warfare. Pre-warfare coming. Uh-oh.
2: He's not on the show, so I'm starting my argument. Yeah! Uh, <laughs> Mephisto, ridiculously as ever. powerful as he is, he's not what I would consider an A-tier Marvel villain because he is not this ever-present known entity throughout marvel period and that was a bridge too far and Dave vehemently disagreed and said that I was uh, that I was biased and, and so i'm going to start this conversation with a D- dave you're you're the other resident comic book reader and you made some points about what you would argue makes an a tier villain what to you makes an A-tier villain
4: in comic book. Well, actually, it's funny. Ray and I discussed this. He actually texted me or messaged me, DM'd me a little privately to, oh, see, Jesus to see what I thought about it. And, uh, you know, I, I think for the most part, I, I tended to kind of side with you a little bit uh, on this, Pat, on the Mephisto side, because I think there's just a number of factors that you you can't just blanket say, yeah, that's that's top level, he's top shelf, he's not. Because... To me, it's like, who's the villain tied to, intricately tied to? Because, yeah, no, you know, you, you could be the mo- Here's an example. And, and, and Ray and I kind of agreed on this, that with the DC villains, the DC villains are, are a little bit more easily defined as far as, like, who's top shelf or not. You can look at that. They pass a different sort of smell test. But take a look at, like, a character like Lobo, okay? Lobo should be a top-level villain just on his power set alone. He's virtually indestructible. Um he he's just he's he's a badass character, he's this and that. But when you look at who he's tied to, he's not really affiliated with anybody. So he kind of gets overlooked. And I think a lot of villains are kind of like that. Mephisto's biggest claim to fame, I said my own words was he was Thanos's bitch in Infinity Gauntlet. So that was like his biggest claim to fame. Um I, you know, so I didn't see that sort of thing, but you know, it was um it's it's a it's a lot of different factors. As far as like...
2: Now, now, hold up, Dave. I'm going to pause you for a second because, ladies and gentlemen, entering the chat at at the insistence of PC Tutty, taking a big drink of water so that he can argue with me over over what makes a top-tier villain is one Mr. Raymond S. Cashington Esquire, the Reverend himself. Welcome to the program, Ray.
3: Gentlemen, how y'all doing? Good to see you. We
2: are good. We were just talking. We were getting Dave's opinion on what makes a top tier comic book villain. And and we, Dave was talking about power set being part of it, but also who the villain is tied to as, as another one. Dave, continue your thought.
4: Go ahead. You, You guys go right now. I got a distraction. Or Dave
2: will pause his thought as he does something around his house. Um, Ray, I'll, I'll hand it over to you before before I get into the into the meat of what I've said. I've already I've already besmirched your reputation uh, many many times on this podcast. I'm sure you hear it later. <laughs> that, not really true. D- Tuddy said I went to pre-war over the whole thing. I, I don't know that I buy that. I did I did badmouth Mephisto, B-level villain that he is. To so, uh, turn this over to you, what for you makes a top-tier villain?
3: So I think. Uh... I think it's a mixture, however you would like to mix it, of five things. The villain has to have a certain level of popularity. The villain has to have a certain power set, right? Like with all respect to George Saint Pierre, Batrack the Leaper is never gonna be a level villain. You know what I'm saying? All right.
2: Who's who's unwrapping something? What are you what are you doing? am I, am I just hearing that in my brain? Swear to god, I thought I heard like somebody unwrapping a candy.
3: Anyway, number three. <laughs> number three is danger level. Right. I think that's where Mephisto is 100 percent uh in, in line. And I'll I'll go in I'll go in more depth with that in just a second. But uh fourth is the number of stories they're involved with, and fifth, of course, so what Dave was alluding to is the heroes they're connected to. Um so that number five is obviously skewed to people like Spider-Man, people like X-Men, people like Fantastic Four and whatnot. But if we're talking about Mephisto, Mephisto is the reason Ghost Rider exists, right? Mephisto is involved in a lot of people's stories that maybe they can hand or maybe they don't fight him he's involved in a lot more than I think we give him credit for if we're thinking from a comic perspective. Well, I want to go back to danger level real fast because this is the one argument me and you didn't get to have that day. Um, I think DC and, and Marvel, particularly those two, oftentimes make villains that are so overpowered or so nigh unbeatable that they put them in their own world so that their stories, they're not told, they don't have stories from them told very often. For example, Dormammu, or Annihilus, or Mosisto, or Nightmare, or in D.C., Trigon. right? These people are kind of put in their own worlds to where they're not defeated, you just get out. And then we're good. And that's why you don't see these people put in stories as often as someone like Dr. Doom is, or as at, or we're talking street level stuff like someone like King Ben or Norman Osborn. But I think Mephisto is a is a A level villain. I don't know if that was what how you brought it up. At, uh, the conference. I think an it's a, it's a level villain because he's one of the most dangerous people in the Marvel Cinematic in the Marvel Universe just in general. That's un, that's He's connected to a ton of heroes and a, a a ton of stories we're not thinking of. Does he have the immediacy of comic stories like Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet or or things of that nature or Doom and um, Secret Wars or something like that? No. But I guarantee you, if you've heard of Ghost Rider, if you know the story of Wanda losing her children and there's many more stories, he has immediacy to those. And of course, the danger level in the power set. Is he popular? I will give you that a thousand times. Not, that, not, not to the level that I think we would expect your standard A-level villain to be. But then also, the whole reason he was brought up is because everybody wants to see him in the MCU. So clearly, he's more popular than both of us are giving him credit for.
2: Do, does everybody want to see him in the MCU? Or is this like the internet wrestling community, as we've been talking about a lot of wrestling on this week's show? Is there a subset of a population that got really excited about this that are like ooh mephisto because I I hear what you're saying I do and you know and you we, in our argument in our conversation I won't call it an argument we didn't, we didn't throw fisticuffs or anything like that in our disagreement uh kind of the big crux of our difference and I'll even own it is you know how is that character known slash used amongst in the world of, of, of comics. And Mephisto, I would argue he's a guy. He's never the guy, or very rarely is he the guy. And mm-hmm. that makes a big difference in whether or not I call them an A or B level character. Like, I still argue his most known work to a hero was to Spider Man. And that was the, you know, the brand new day story when he sure. saves May's life and erases Peter Parker's existence and, and gets the last laugh. Cause like MJ still knows, uh, but they can never be together. That sort of thing. But Peter doesn't know that MJ knows and all that uh, in using the the description that, that you did of like your criteria, what the way I would visualize it. And you see this in a lot of uh, whether you would call it a trading card or even hell, if you go to like a website, there'd be like this circle, right? With like branches and they'd, the points on the branches and the bigger the kind of the bigger the circle the bigger the star it kind of makes the bigger deal it is and I think that the that, that it does really matter that sure Mephisto is around and available and, and everywhere but again he's not the guy and I don't think he's the known entity that you know that you would believe him to be uh I think that when we're looking at this in the context of the MCU sure they're they can make him a big villain. I mean, they did it with some characters you wouldn't have expected. But you, you know, it's like okay. And I wouldn't say that I'd be disappointed. I wouldn't even say that I would perceive Mephisto as like not a threat to whoever. I just don't. I, I just don't find him to be uh, the the kind of the top level guy. The guy, uh, power said be damned, universe be damned. I think that being tied to a superhero is is a big deal. I think there's a reason that Lex Luthor, who is not powered, well I mean he's got money, so there's that power. Um but you know he's you know you ask most people who's Superman's biggest rival. He's gonna be one of the first three that gets mentioned, if not the first one almost every time. And he's certainly not a super powered character he's the criminal mastermind that also i think as a character and this is the other thing that it really to me matters and is always what i've argued makes marvel special but also makes a character like i'll use lex Luthor again special um maybe black manta might be another good example um they're characters that have a level of relatability and connected connectedness to us as normal humans like that they can rival a, a, a super-powered creature or person in a way that is challenging to cool. that hero, even though they're they're just a regular person. That's why Norman Osborn, you talk about Nor- Norman Osborn and Dr. Octopus are two of my favorite Spider-Man villains and because, really, Doc Ock isn't super-powered outside of his arms, right? Like, his mechanical arms refuse his body. That's really his power. Norman Osborn, yeah, he has the serum that's made him super-powered, but he also does as much damage, kind of being the de facto, almost a Lex Luthor-esque character, the Kingpin, the same way he's compelling because he's got this tragic story that drives who he is and what he does. Um, whereas Mephisto's kind of just evil to be evil and loves to fuck with people. Loki's kind of the same way. Like Loki's evil to be evil, just to fuck with people. He's become compelling over the years with stories that have been written. And so I will say that it's the literature guy in me that, that looks for some of those elements as well. When I look at an A-level
3: villain, that's why the Joker's so fast. Joker's nuts. Let me let me do one retort real fast. I know you want to. We got to go around the horn. In 2022, this may not be relevant, but I think for the formative years of Marvel and up to the mid 90s, I think I I feel very comfortable. And to the let's say the figure 2000, I feel very comfortable saying this. Ghost Rider was a major part of 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 Marvel, an A-level guy for Marvel. I feel very comfortable saying that to to, the, to about the mid nineties to year two thousand. Um, Time has not treated him well because of the, his portrayals b- in on screen, and because of uh, Marvel went away from syncing their comics with what was happening on screen since they were they sold the farm. Right, Mephisto is his number one villain. You know, I had the conversation with Dave. There's a lot of these A-level villains, oh, I'm sorry, not A-level villains, A-level heroes whose who's, uh, archenemy aren't really that big a deal. Like a guy, the Mandarin has of like a terrifically terrifying power level. 99% of people ain't never heard of it before. You gotta be a real, you gotta be a real like, comic book fan to have have known who the Mandarin was before uh, Sir Bean Kingsley played him in Iron Man 3. Nobody would have known, nobody knew who he was. Right? In fact, the beauty of their feud was that the Mandarin could beat Iron Man at any point, but because he respected him, he let him go all the time. It's kind of the beauty of their feud, right? So, while I'm with you, a thousand percent, especially on the point about it's something, it's something cool to see a human go toe-to-toe with the superhuman. But that gets dicey the way these stories have been written because these stories will have people who are not relevant to anything really end up being the person that you most identify with the character. And even though you could argue Iron Man's importance is more... Than now than it was then, you could never argue he wasn't an A-level person for Marvel because he started the Avengers. So, like, he's always been an A-level guy to them. He just may not have been with the importance of a Wolverine or uh, well, a Cap- fighter. And,
2: and this was part of our conversation that we had, too, is I, I don't know that if Marvel slash the MCU or whoever owned the rights to all of their properties Iron Man is the one they start with. And that is not a knock on Iron Man himself as a character. Because you are absolutely right. He is a founder of the Avengers. Tony Stark was a big deal. But honestly, I think if Marvel would have owned the X-Men, the X-Men would have been where they would have started. Because Chris Claremont in the 90s sure, and the strength of the the X-Men cartoon... uh, you know spider-man and this is coming from a spider-man fan and I'll, I'll own that spider-man for all of its his faults bigger
0: property than than iron man is uh that the avengers Is that a happy situation, though? I'm sorry, because of what the result? Because you think think if they started there, they could have been as big as they, I mean, like, that was just like a needle in a haystack. it's
2: It's hard to know. It's really hard to know because you gotta, the other thing that's really interesting about the history of the MCU as we kind of slide away from comics is, and I talk about this all the time when I talk about people who are frustrated with kind of this phase of Marvel right now. Marvel took a risk. And it took a big risk, banking on Iron Man being successful. Sure. And they'll and they'll even tell you that because they recognized, and they would even say, Iron Man wouldn't have been our first choice for a film, but the Avengers were really the only property they were able to keep from their their fire sale back in the in the late '80s, early '90s when they were trying to keep themselves afloat. And they were selling their IPs, uh, the Fantastic Four to Spider-Man, to the X-Men. And, and those were the IPs that the companies wanted because they saw money there. Now, of course, that worked in some cases and in others didn't. You had two very good X-Men movies before Brian Sanger left the project. You had two very good Spider-Man movies before Sony started getting into its own way. The Fantastic Four movies, though, the less we say about any attempt at the Fantastic Four, the better. Uh, so, you know, Marvel kind of had itself at this spot. And they're like, well, we're going to try Iron Man because I think this is where we're going to start. And we're going to put this thing, we're going to put this tag on at the end. We don't know where it's going to go. But if this movie works, we could be in business. And it's even fair to argue that movie number two and three in their in their attempt to see it work almost didn't allow it to work. Because the Hulk was a... Was, kind of well it was okay received like it wasn't a blow away um and then I, now i'm trying to write did thor come next or did iron man 2 come next i can't remember
3: iron, iron, two came
2: next. Came next. iron man 2 came next when they were like okay we're for sure going to do this avengers thing and people were for it because i think the idea of the avengers was bigger than the individual characters and marvel hit it right with casting hit it right with the with the tone and the character and the thing they set. but the villain obadiah Stane, like that was a surprise cuz to your point ray i would have figured they would have done like like superhero movies have done for years you usually start with your biggest villain your known villain
3: well, and they didn't well, do that let me two things real fast and then i know we got to hear from dave and pc number one everything you said is spot on but i i i want to make sure that I, I speak up for this because I don't want – it feels like you're saying all those facts about the Iron Man movie in a in a secondhand way to kind of discredit him from being top-level guy. Just because, just because they, wouldn't gonna, they wouldn't have started with him if they could have doesn't mean he wasn't still an a level hero.
2: No, not at all. But I'm just saying he's not the first A-level hero they would have gone no. with.
3: How's that? Absolutely. no, sure. Flash is an uh, Flash, is a level hero in in DC. He they would have nobody would have ever started with Flash in the DC universe, right? Right. And man, and man is another guy, right? The other thing um, is, and I think this is a low key, under talked about part of reason why Marvel worked at the beginning. MCU worked. They dumped it down for everybody. Every hero, every villain was the inverse of the hero. And that made it really simple for people who didn't follow these stories to follow along. So That's yeah, the unbreakable have, theory. Yeah, we exactly, 100%. We have Iron Man, we have Iron Monger, we have Thor, we have Loki, we have Mr. America, we have Mr. Nazi. It was a very easy story to be told so that when people people who didn't watch Comic book re came on comic books could say, oh, well, there's something about this that I can get into. And then once they got hooked, then they started telling more complex stories and having more complex feelings, right? And I think that's a really genius way to start it off that they haven't got a lot of credit for, it because us diehards are like, men don't care about Obadiah Stain. But the importance of having that guy versus the Mandarin. And even then they were ahead of the game because where did Tony Stark get attached? Of the ten rings, those always
2: there. Yeah, I your points. Your points well taken, uh, Dave. Jump in here. Your thoughts on on this guy? As we've kind of morphed this conversation a little bit, it's it's moved around. Um, your thoughts on, you know, where where we are with villains, where where this is all kind of launched off, and I don't know. What do you think?
4: Well, I think like uh, before, I got distracted. What I was alluding to was. Um, i I do think and I know Ray and I kind of agreed with it that d c s villains are more easily identifiable as like these are top shelf these not so much um but like with with marvel it's it's there's a lot more shades of gray and i I think like like what you guys were saying pat, that would ironman have been iron man have been their first choice if they had all of it available to them probably not, and that may have been a mistake because going with the you know they they made the best of what they had. And the Avengers are infinitely more relatable to most people than the X-Men probably are. Because it's like, oh, this is like Iron Man. He's just a normal guy with a suit. You know, he doesn't have mutated genetics and adamantium claws. And, and like you're saying, some of the the first two X-Men movies were, were good. But, I mean, some better than good. And then the last one. But, I mean, like, when you're looking at what what the MCU did was they kind of went into this whole thing saying, we've got all this, you know, this stuff we can use. We're gonna use this as an idea and revolve everything around that. So it, it does I, I think the you know the MCU does kind of put a different sort of filter over our eyes as far as like who's a big villain, who's the top level, who's not. Absolutely. And and the MCU kind of morph that. Whereas if you were just going on comics alone, like, you know, we and, and I know Ray and I were talking about this. Like, Loki's an interesting conversation. Would you consider him a top level villain? I do, because a, he's Thor's nemesis, and B, if not for Loki, the Avengers are never formed in the comics and the MCU. So there's a mm-hmm. big impact to that character that kind of colors that for me. I had a question, like I asked Ray, and I'll, I'll put it to you, Patrick, because I was wondering what your thought on it is. Is Kraven a top-level villain? I know Spider-Man... Oh, God, favorite. no. Okay. So... No. Kraven, so, that...
2: and and again, it's not... And... I do think there is something to be said about the strength of the Marvel rogues gallery versus the DC rogues gallery as well, just in general, in terms of if you, and this goes back to popularity as much as anything, but if you go to any person on the street and said names of superhero villains before this ever hit, you're probably going to get, what the Joker probably Lex- like the joke, the Joker, Lex Luthor, you, I you honest get, to God, you'll get who would be now. the first Marvel, but you'll get Thanos you get us now. now but yeah let's let's take the movies out of the equation who do you think would be the first marvel villain that somebody would rattle off you know as a as a comic book villain if, if you were just to say anything you, i don't, I, don't that, right? I think it's right enough. now maybe wait wait i should no. answer this question uh, movies not movies not if you didn't know about the movies movies didn't exist we just said name some superhero villains what that would music. be a what would be the marvel movie villain
0: that you would think of Right, and I should answer this question, right? Like right. I'd be the Go one ahead. to answer sure. this. And but so, and, and I take the out stuff. the MCU. I oh. take out the MCU. Yeah, you
2: can't. You got to act as if movies didn't exist.
0: Here's the here's the here's the answer. None. I think I think Magneto would. Magneto is someone. Not a fucking clue. I I'll would be probably. I
4: you. would say for me, it'd be Doctor Doom or Green
0: Goblin. But he, hold on, hold, hold on. Choice. So, it movies don't exist. Like nobody i like I don't know who if movies don't exist and I'm not reading the comics. Think of
3: I, where but, am I But hold on, you've never so freak I I get the movies thing, yeah. But you've never watched the X-Men the the, the TV show, the, the, the cartoon? Magneto is a guy that's known by a lot of people. If, I didn't uh,
0: listen, and this is why I say a happy situation, because I wasn't an X-Men fan. I liked I liked Superman and Batman and there was Spider-Man, but like, you know, you're taking away the movies. So like, I don't know, I'm not really watching the cartoon as I get older and stuff like that. So I'm saying like general mainstream pop culture, DC has them. Marvel doesn't. The answer is none. None.
3: It's interesting you say that real fast, Pat, because if if I'm thinking the way Tony's thinking, just as a kid, I never looked at Norman Osborn as a major level guy.
2: Yeah, because he wasn't, because he, he was he was a major level guy in the comics, but in, in popular culture, well, honestly, so Tony brought up the animated series, and what's really interesting about bringing up the animated series in regards to Spider-Man, the Kingpin was was the guy yeah. that they focused on in the animated series. Magneto yeah. was the guy they focused on in the X-Men series, and, and yeah. Apocalypse to some level. Uh, and so, Mar- but yeah, Marvel's Rogues Gallery, while I... I love them as characters. I think there's an argument that none of them were particularly A-listers outside of a Doctor Doom. Like, and and even then, it's like, you know, when you think about that, that's kind of crazy. Now, the longevity of Marvel Comics, you know, they existed in the 60s. So they they didn't go away. And and so those characters were compelling and creative. But, you know, I, I... most everybody that I would ever ask you, like, if I just said, name a comic book villain, the Joker would be number one. Yeah. Like, yeah. you look at our, you look at our villain, Joker, act, Lex Luthor. it didn't matter what anybody else picked. Second, Whoever had the Joker had a leg up. Now, they may not have won. I don't even remember if the team with the Joker
4: won. Destroyed. I got destroyed, but Was it? it wasn't close. Oh, you had the Joker?
2: And, no, and, well, shows and
4: Harley, and it didn't matter.
2: Oh, because,
4: you know, Harley's kind of a now. Other, She's like the Stone Steve
0: Austin of
4: the anyway. So yeah, Your burner but accounts, anyway, honey, That's what was involved.
0: Bro, no. Listen, we're going to have to... Bro, the Wurz, bro, the Wurz, bro. No, it's the Wurtz brothers. They have way more backup than necessary for this kind of situation. You will never... They'll never lose. Dave will never lose. Uh, not Fair you, enough. The well, other
3: one.
2: so, anyway, I, I think this is a discussion that could go on forever. I do think that... Um, you know, I, I think that at the end of the day, whatever makes a character an A-level level villain to you, embrace him. If you love Mephisto and he's your guy, make him your guy. If well, you're like me, you'll love you some Lex Luthor and some uh, and some Norman Osborn.
0: That's the way to do it. I would say you we have. I, I would say we have two A-level villains on Chairshot Radio Network.
4: And one of them. On, one of them's on this show.
0: So yeah, guy right in the chair oh the other one's chris <laughs> funny
2: um as long as we all agree that brainiac can go fuck himself i don't care all right
0: you think of a way
2: bold statement to close the show who ray thank you very much for coming on the show here's my big question though next week episode yes. 150 is ray cash going to be on episode
3: 150 of Bandwagoner? earth Oh, I'll make the time, brother.
0: I'll 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 make Oh the time. now he's making the time. Now he's Probably forced his That's hand, so asshole. all. There's villain. There's villain number one. Way to go.
2: I will embrace in fact I may change my Twitter profile to just say the villain of the Chairshot Radio Network. Villain number we gotta, one. gotta, we
4: gotta bring we Vill- gotta get a full house for one fifty.
2: Tony, reach out do to you. You really want this to be an eight hour fucking podcast next That's week. Right.
4: Jesus Christ. We're we're going to do a watch along along of Rise of Skywalker, Ray. You down? You
0: guys can put up the plat signal, and Patrick and Dave and Ray, I will effort DP to try and at least make a timely drop-in if I can. That's the best I can try to do. So if you want that.
2: I mean, I'd love to see DP. I haven't seen him in forever. That would be very exciting to do. But, um okay, well, we'll cross that bridge next week when 150 uh, hits your internet airwaves. We are going to head out now, but before we do, gentlemen, let's do a once around. remind everybody where they can find you on the ChairShot Radio Network and how to follow you on the socials. This week, we will start with the lawyer, David Ungar.
4: You can find me at Ray's house hanging out and debating with him about the best villains on a daily basis. Let's but- go. Yes, go. You can find me on Twitter at AttitudeAgg, at AttitudeAgg, and Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. PC
2: Tunny.
0: Listen to DWI Podcast, Chair Shot 100. We just dropped uh, 91 through 100 next week. We got 81 through 90. Uh, we'll have another guest on. But I, uh, Patrick, put on your suggestion cup because I would say a bandwagon nerd's battle duel to death on things in the chat that happen between two guys and then whoever else is on the show gets to pick what argument they like best because you guys had it today. It's good content when two people argue about something and they know what they're talking about. So you take it under consideration. Hope I got more of the tip than the balls and the cup situation there.
3: It's going to be me and Patrick. It's going to be me and Patrick every week. Patrick every week.
2: <laughs> we don't disagree on everything, everything, man. That's not true. No, but um, when we do this-
3: we disagree. We like go That's at true. it.
2: Okay, That's true. this is just for you, just because. All right, Ray, tell everybody where they can find you on the socials and on the network.
3: You can find me um, at the Twitter for my second job at LJ underscore era eight. Okay. Can they listen to you anywhere, or are you just going to leave it at that? It's Ray Cash. R.A. Wise Mysterio, C A S H. Outsiders
0: Edge is back. Chairshot Radio Network.
3: I, I was t- just
2: trying to get you to put over your shows, man. That's all I was trying to do.
3: I love how Tony's so excited about that. He's more excited People about that fu- than we... People
0: fucking listen to the show. Pimp it, motherfucker.
3: Outside his edge. Every Friday. People listen right. to this show? This show, too,
2: yeah. 20, 27 listeners. That's what we know, based on polling numbers. All right, you can follow me on the Twitter, at Wrestling Realist. That is at W R E S T L N G R E A L I S T. You can catch me every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday on the Chair Shot Radio Network. Monday, talking dirty shit with these guys here on Bandwagon Nerds. Tuesdays, it's generally Chair Shot Radio right now, musical chairs, although occasionally a 5 by 5 And in the fall and winter, it's Hockey Talk. And then Wednesday, I'm talking wrestling with Greg DeMarco and Miranda Morales on the Greg DeMarco Show. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. That's going to do it for us. Now, get yourself out of the basement, get some sun. And find yourself an A-level villain. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com.
0: fight club is you do not talk about fight club second rule of fight club is you do not talk about fight club third rule of fight club someone yells stop goes limp taps out the fight is over fourth rule only two guys to a fight fifth rule one fight at a time fellas
3: sixth rule no shirts no shoes
0: seventh rule Fights will go on as long as they have to. And the eighth and final rule. If this is your first night at Fight Club,
3: you have to fight.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus.